in the words of Public Enemies, Chuck D, bring the noise. On the Fifth Element Podcast Network, I am Charlie Taylor, and this is what's good. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you've all had a good week in the circumstances. Um, I had a breakdown on, uh, I forgot what day it was, I think like Friday or Saturday. It was weird. It, it was so weird. So, like, without explaining everything, because it's just going to take a while, like, it was just, um, I don't know. I guess it was like a type of anxiety attack, maybe, but I was just like, in my own head, um, outside I was like, I don't know, this mixture of anger and crying, but at the same time I was in my head talking to myself going like, why the fuck are you crying for? <laughs> you know what I mean? It was really, really weird. Um, and then I just lied on the floor in my bedroom. I just lied on the floor, literally like, like, uh, like literally next to me right now. I was just like sitting, ne- lying on the floor next to my chair where I'm sitting right now. And I just, I don't know, I just lied there for, I don't know, like maybe 20 minutes. I don't, I really don't know. So the, my, my, my <laughs> concept of time obviously went out the window then, but it was just weird. Um... I kind of just, it made me understand a few things, I guess, in terms of, like, how I sometimes see people um, snap over the smallest things, and I feel like that's it, isn't it? It's, like, it's never the biggest thing. Like, you can get a big, you can have a big thing happen to you, and you can just, like, have it wash over you, and in some way um, charge it to the game, so to speak, right? But then when you get that small thing that you expect to be, um, that you expect to be, you know, on point, and it isn't on point, it's, I don't know, it's, I don't know, I guess that, I guess that can be the thing that triggers it, because you expect that thing to happen, like, the big thing that you were doing, um, you knew there was a chance it wasn't happening, and you kind of mentally prepared for that fact, right, but with the small thing, um, say, I don't know, microwave something, right, and then your, and then the, and then the food you got in the microwave blows up, right? And you just can't eat it because it's all over the place. That's a small thing, right? But that can easily send you off because you expect the microwave or the food just to cook, and you just want to eat. You just want to eat, and and it'll be fine, right? You just you don't expect, you know, the the worst case scenario in that fashion. But when the worst case scenario happens in that fashion. You can, you can snap, and I think that's just what happened. I expect, I you know, I expected in that mo in the in those moments leading up to it for the things I was doing to be, um, you know, no hitches, right, or you know, just not yeah, not go terribly right, but but yeah, just uh, I don't know, just uh, it just sent me, literally sent me <laughs> to the floor, and I was just like, fuck. So yeah, that was um that was my weekend, but um, I'm I'm over that now. It's all good. So I'm all the better for it. Um, so yeah, apart from that, it's all good. Can't complain. <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, let's talk about crying for two minutes and having a potential anxiety attack and then just say it's all good. Yes, yeah, that's how I do things. Uh, but yeah, no, seriously, I'm, I'm fine. It's all, it's, yeah, it's all good. Um, but yeah, apart from that, let's, uh, let's just all that stuff out of the way. Let's uh, jump right in. We have uh, two live topics, a sports and a film and TV topic. And um, they're all pretty tasty, if I don't say, if I do say so myself. So uh, without further ado, for Maxi, before we begin, email, Twitter, IG, Facebook as well, Discord link, all of that, all of that, all of that, include the music, I'll obviously credit that later, is in the full show notes, go give that a click, click, and as you do that, let's let the beat drop, and let's get into the show. week where Boris Johnson won't kneel because he doesn't believe in empty gestures. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. Boris Johnson doesn't believe in empty gestures because there's no, no he's, he's done no empty gestures throughout his entire political career. No empty gestures at all. None of those. Not, not, no. The, all of his gestures are entirely genuine and they're never empty always packed with sustenance and substance always packed with substance always 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 oh cameron britain's first uh, black film star dies at age 102 r.i.p uh, uk government announces a 1.57 billion pound rescue package for the art sector i was actually i actually had a uh, I actually had a piece a couple of days before i was recording this um basically asking about the art sector and uh you know why there was no funding and then literally a day later um the arts funding came so i was just like well damn i can't talk about that now can i but you know it's worth it's worth it's, it's worth saying that you know it, it while that's all well and good i don't i don't personally know whether that's enough or not you know you see 1.57 billion you're like yeah that's a big number so why why, why wouldn't it be enough but we don't know um yeah, I think uh, to sort out the um, social care sector, I, th- I think I saw on Channel 4 News the other the other day, it was like uh, the number was over 10 billion, I think. I was just like, oh, wow, that's crazy to think about. Um, so, yeah, you know, while that's all well and good as a number, I'm, I'm guessing um, it all depends on where it's being sent and who's getting saved, because obviously, like, um, you know, places like the Nuffield Southampton Theatre has been uh, closed down or announced to be closed down. Um, and many other places um, in local uh, local places as well. So um, you know, hopefully that works. Uh, Italian music composer Ennio Morricone dies at age eighty one, and China has the bubonic plague because why not? <laughs> why why not have the bubonic plague? That's just the word bubonic is just so so deep, just bubonic, like, it just sounds like you, if, once you get it, your face is going to explode, I've got bubonic plague, Jesus Christ, oh, man, that's just, yeah, that's, that's just adding on to, um, adding on to the appending apocalypse, that is year 2020, but let's just, uh, jump right into this, uh, topic, which I have been so excited to, been to, to talk about, um, for the past week, uh, this is sports, and it's a WNBA star's role in freeing man from prison shows female athletes at the forefront. Uh, this is in uh, New York Times. This is by Kurt Streeter. And this is all about uh, Miss Maya Moore, um, who is one of the greatest um, female basketball players of all time. 
Um, you know, go just go Google her. All the accolades are there. You will completely understand where I'm coming from on that front. And she has basically uh, forgot, forgone her peak years as a basketball player um, to spend time uh, uh, get, trying to get justice and freedom for this one person, Jonathan Lyons, and um, and obviously leading the charge for social change. And um, it's just crazy. Um, I'm kind of disappointed in the fact that sports shows in America anyway um, talked about it for a day and then that was it. I was like, this is, this is, this is a, this is a crazy story and it's worth talking about for more than, uh, for more than a couple of, uh, you know, a, a couple of days if you're doing a daily talk show or whatever. It's just, it's way worth, more worth, it's way worth more than, it's worth more than that, basically. Jeez, tripping over myself. But anyway, um, let's just jump right into this article and uh, and you'll, you'll understand where I'm coming from. Because this is a great article, article that uh, just uh, lays the foundation for all of it. Still in her prime, Maya Moore sacrificed her career, stepping away as one of the greats in basketball for a long-shot bid to help free a prisoner she was convinced had been wrongfully convicted. There will be no fifth WNBA championship, no bid for another Olympic gold medal, no fans gasping at the perfect jump shot. In a shock to the sport, she left the game temporarily, she said, in early 2019 to free Jonathan Irons, a Missouri man who continuously claimed innocence as he served a 50-year prison sentence for burglary and assault with a gun. And on Wednesday, her sacrifice paid the ultimate dividend. Irons, 40, walked out of a Missouri prison a free man after spending 23 years behind bars. After an appeal uh, more partially funded and publicly backed, Iron's sentence had been overturned in a scene of tearful celebration outside the front doors of, Je- of the Jefferson City Correctional Centre. Uh, Moore and her family at long last greeted the man they've come to consider one of their own. Quote, I'm pumped that people are understanding where the real change lies as far as giving something up, Moore said at a news conference on Thursday. That's all of us, giving something up, if you have any sort of power. Uh, unquote. Athletes across sports have joined calls for social and racial justice, especially in the most recent wave spurred by the deaths of black people at the hands of police. And female athletes like Moore have been at the forefront, but outside the limelight as men uh, working in leagues with higher television ratings tend to get the lion's share of coverage. Quote, the NBA and NFL get noticed and the, accol- and, and the accolades, but the WNBA and women in sports so often tend to be ahead of everybody else, said Victoria Jackson, a sports historian at Arizona State University. Look at Maya. She's a, she essentially gave up her career at a peak moment to put her heart and soul into this, unquote. Players like LeBron James go on to quick headlines with the backing of Hillary Clinton in the 2016 presidential election, his heavy financial support of a public school in Akron, Ohio, his willingness uh, to snipe back against conservative media pundits who say he should stick to sports. Colin Kaepernick, in his kneeling during the national anthem, has made an indelible image he ha- and as he has remained a powerful behind-the-scenes force for change uh, while still unable to get a job in the NFL since 2016. And as a side note, he recently got a deal with ESPN to do some uh, original works I think like a documentary and other stuff, so uh, shout out to him on that front. Uh, yet the role of female athletes in this movement included Moore's decision to back Irons and campaign for justice, uh, campaign for justice reform seems to cycle in and out of public consciousness and is minimised. The reasons are in a manifold mixed includes, uh, include race, the status of women in our society, and the way that women's sports still struggle for attention in the, on the sports landscape. Uh, quote, part of the reason female athletes who speak out are so easily ignored, why we don't see, 
or hear what they're doing is that they're barely ha- they barely have a mic to begin with, says Amira Rose Davis, an assistant professor at Penn State who specialises in race, sport and gender. Uh, it is hard enough to get women's sports on TV, uh, unquote, or, or other powerful media, Davis added. So it's not really surprising in the moment that female athletes leading the fight for justice so often get overlooked. And that is a shame because the... Because these athletes, particularly black women athletes, have consistently been some of the people taking the most decisive action, willing to sacrifice the most, giving up what crumbs they already have in pursuit of equality and justice, unquote. Take Ariana Smith. She was a basketball player at uh, Knox College in Illinois, who in 2014, shortly after a police officer shot and killed Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri, uh, walked uh, to the court before a game with her hands raised in protest, then fell to the floor and four and a half minutes to symbolise the four and a half hours Brown remained in the street after he was killed. Her display of dissent and public mourning for Brown foreshadowed such protests in collegiate sports. Players on college football teams like Oklahoma State, Kansas State and UCLA have received widespread attention over the past several weeks for speaking up against their coaches over issues related to race and their health in a deadly pandemic. But getting less national attention has been Anna Cockrell, an All-American hurdler at the University of Southern California, uh, who recently announced the formation of a Black Student Athlete Association and is pressing the tradition-bound private university for change. That is a boss move. Highly respect, that's a boss move. Um, There is also Christiana Carr, the Kansas State women's basketball player, who's helped uh, helped lead black athletes to threaten boycott um, playing, threatening to boycott playing until the university takes on racism, uh, campus racism, uh, more seriously. In the NWSL, National Women's Soccer League, uh, st- stars from the Portland Thorns and North Carolina Courage took a knee during the national anthem before the opening game, demanding change. Other clubs have followed suit. An entire team quitting en masse in the name of human rights and social justice. That's what the players on the professional all-female scrapyard fast-pitch softball team did after a recent game. They left for good, in defiance of a general manager who had bragged to President Trump on Twitter that the team was standing during the anthem, ascribing political intent behind the action. In a 2017 cover story for Sports Illustrated, Moore, now 31, was called the greatest winner in the history of women's basketball. It was a nod to her vast collection of championship titles in the Olympics and the pros, and before then at UConn, uh, University of Connecticut, in high, and in high school. But even a performer, as superlative as she is, has faced constant struggles to be heard. Shortly before her freshman season at University of Connecticut in 2007, Moore met Irons thr- through family members who had become uh, close to him through a prison ministry. She and Irons form a sibling-like bond, and as she learned more about the details of his case, she vowed to help him prove his innocence. She first went uh, public with her decision to leave basketball in order to help free Irons in a short essay in the Players' Tribune. It took months for a decision to make uh, a deep impression with sports media and fans. When she walked in the streets of Atlanta, her adopted hometown few recognised her. Her story didn't garner anywhere near the attention that would have gone to a male player, with her level of stature in the sport. Said Davis, the Penn State professor, quote, when people are reporting on LeBron or the NBA players doing something for society and they know they need to they need to nod to a woman, they will be like, oh, and there is also Maya's Mo- Maya Moore's work. Generally, without deeply considering what, is, what it is she is doing, 
and the sacrifice that is required, unquote. Moore is hardly faced. Like most female athletes, she's used to fighting against being overlooked. Four years ago, on the heels of police killings of Philando Castile in a Minneapolis suburb and Alton Sterling in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, along with the murder of five police officers in Dallas by a gunman showing signs of mental health problems, Moore and her Minnesota Lynx teammates engaged in a potent protest. In pre-game warm-ups, they wore t-shirts with the names of Castile and Sterling and the Dallas Police Shield and phrases, justice and accountability, and of course, Black Lives Matter. The move proved contra- controversial, drawing the ire of the WNBA and prompting four off-duty Minneapolis police officers who worked security at Lynx Games to walk off the job, but it soon spawned imitators and support from players across the league. Weeks later, Kaepernick knelt during the National Anthem. Moore and her teammates were ahead of the curve. And that's it. That's that's just some of it, you know what I mean? It's just, that's just crazy to think about, all of that, you know? The fact that she gets um, all of these things, all of these accolades, you know, she's one of the greatest players of all time. And <laughs> like I said, you know, when this, when this news initially dropped, um, you know, sports media covered it for a day. And that was it. <laughs> like... It's just, um, it's, it's just, um, I don't know, it's, it's, it's so thankless, it's so thankless, and, you know, um, I'm, I'm not saying, I'm not even saying, like, Maya Moore's probably one of of those people that would be like, I want, I want, I want to be known for this kind of thing, you know what I mean, sis, you know, she did it because she had the bond with Vines, and, you know, she succeeded, but I feel like this is a success in such a... It's not even about the success, right? For me, personally, it's about the sacrifice. Like, you know, you, you, you're... you Understand this, right? WNBA players do not get paid that much. Like, they get... I think the average is, like, 40k um, on, a, on a regular contract. Like, that's, 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 not, that's nothing. If you want to compare it to, like, you know, NBA, where several, several tens of millions on average, maybe, like, that's, that's a, that's, that's a, that's a Pacific Ocean, that's Pacific Ocean gap right there. Um, the sacrifice she took, um, in, in order to do all of this, because there's a lot of players, you know, that try to, um, you know, do all these things, and, you know, that's all well and good, but they still, um, they, they do it on their own time, so to speak, you know what I mean, they still, they they can, they still consider, like, you know, their job, you know, doing the sport, their job, and, you know, that's, that's all well and good, I get it, um, but Maya Moore, I don't, I don't know if she knew she had to do this, like, I, I don't know if she knew she had to quit basketball temporarily in order to do this, um, Maybe that was a, um, a a a reason a reasoning for doing it. I'm just saying, like if I if I I have to do it to get it in order to get it done, I have to make the sacrifice. Uh, maybe she could have played and do the same and do the same thing she she did, but maybe that would have taken longer. Um, so you know, if those if that's the case, then you know I can't applaud Maya more enough for this. Um, and I really feel like this, you know, whole story should be just shouted from the rooftops in terms of, you know, every, everyone's trying to do their bit in this sense, but Maya Moore has gone above and beyond to do this, um, for one person. And, you know, that's just, um, that's inspiring on so many levels. So, uh, 
Shout to my amour, salute to my amour on all fronts, and um, yeah, man, that's just an amazing story. And I really want, I'm really glad that I was able to uh, able to talk about it. So we hop on to oh, life of film and TV. Ooh, uh, Let's let's do life. Let's do this. Um, so let's do this one. Um, this <laughs> this is uh this is one where you know my opinion is pretty obvious and uh, it should be obvious to pretty much everyone that is not named Boris Johnson. Uh, Boris Johnson, to be honest, because uh, this is an absolute slap in the face in so many fa- so many ways. Um, and in, if you want to include um the bullshit clapping. That happened, I think, yesterday, as I record, um, in, in, in on of the NHS anniversary. <laughs> this is just crazy. So um, this particular article, um, I could have picked every anywhere to be honest, because every um, you know, every uh, self-respecting uh, news site did this, what covered this bit. But um, this is from the Guardian by Peter Walker, Kate Proctor, and Rajiv uh, Cl. Uh, furious Boris Johnson accuses care homes over uh, high COVID nineteen death toll. So let's just jump right in and just uh, and just get the information as we get it. So uh, let's just do it. Uh, care leaders, unions, and MPs have rounded on Boris Johnson after he accused care homes of failing to follow proper procedures amid the coronavirus crisis, saying the Prime Minister appeared to be shifting the blame for high, for the high death toll, with nearly twenty thousand care home residents confirmed to have died with COVID nineteen. In estimates that the true toll is much greater, there has been widespread criticism about lack of PPE, personal protective equipment, testing and clear guidelines for the sector. On Monday, the total UK death toll uh, rose to 44,236. And as I record this, uh, the toll is now at 44,517, up 16 the day before, as uh, uh, as of the article's uh, publishing. Uh, the Guardian has previously revealed how public health officials proposed a radical lockdown of care homes at the height of the pandemic, but they were overruled by the government. Agency staff were found to have spread the virus between homes, but a health department plan published in April mentioned nothing about restricting staff movements. Around 25,000 patients were discharged into care homes uh, without being tested for coronavirus, an official por- report said. Speaking during a visit to Google, uh, Google, certainly they say Google there, Google in Yorkshire, Johnson said the pandemic had shown the need to, quote, make sure we look after the people better who are in social care, unquote. Uh, he went on, quote, we discovered too many care homes didn't really follow the procedures in the way that they could have, but we're, we're learning lessons the whole time. Most important is to fund them properly but we will also be looking at ways to make sure the care sector long-term is properly organised and supported, unquote. Comments followed uh, fears that ministers, mindful of a likely future inquiry into how the UK came to have had, came to have the highest coronavirus death toll in Europe, with a proportion of care home deaths 13 times higher than in Germany, could be seeking to lay off a uh, late, lay some of the responsibility on outside bodies, including Public Health England. A number 10 spokesman insisted Johnson was not blaming care homes. Of course, of course he wasn't. Saying, quote, 
have they have uh, they quote have done a brilliant job under the very difficult circumstances. He added, the PM was pointing out that nobody knew what the correct procedures were because the extent of asymptomatic transmission was not known at the time. Unquote. But Nadra Ahmed, chair of the National Care Association, which represents smaller and medium-sized care providers, said Johnson's co- uh, comments were a huge slap in the face for a sector that looks after a million vulnerable people, employs 1.6 million care workers, and puts £45 billion into the economy every year. She added, despite the fact that PPE was diverted, despite the fact we didn't have testing in our services, despite the fact they've not put any money into our sector, it has worked its socks off, and and it's a huge disappointment to hear the leader of our country say what he said, unquote. Spokesman for the Association of Directors of Adult Social Services said Johnson was correct to say that the sector needed reform and more funding, but he added, quote, Social care has been hit hard by COVID-19, and it feels unfair to blame care homes for the initial response to the pandemic, as they did not feel prioritised from the outset, unquote. Caroline Abrams, Charity Director of Age UK, said, quote, It would be unfair for anyone to suggest that care staff have have had have been authors of their own misfortune. On the contrary, in a neglected and cash-strapped system, they have been magnificent throughout the pandemic, arguably far better than we as a country deserved. Uh, Rahana Azam, National Officer for the Public Services at the GMB Union, uh, which has many members in the social care sector, said, uh, quote, Johnson is complaining about the arrangements that he and his government have established and failed to change, there is no point of uh, there is no point the prime minister passing the buck on this one, <laughs> um, and also I guess it, the article also gets into you know um, echoing of uh, by uh, the opposition and stuff like that. I'm just going to move uh, ahead on the article just a little uh, just a little bit to the final few paragraphs. Um, the Guardian also learned that while public health officials proposed an 11 point plan to protect care homes in April, including a radical lockdown, with staff moving in for four weeks while temporarily. Temporary NHS Nightingale hospitals were deployed. It was rejected by the government. The care sector has also complained about the lack of protective equipment for staff with, with, uh, with providers, in some cases having to secure their own suppliers. Earlier in the outbreak, care home operators accused, accused the government of a, quote, uh, complete system failure, unquote, over t- COVID-19 testing. Care home managers said lives have been put at risk and co- uh, conditions for dementia sufferers have worsened because of the government's failure. So far to test hundreds of thousands of staff and residents. <sighs> Bloody hell. Why, why, why do this? Like, why even, 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 let's just like, let's just try and, um, let's think of it as a best case scenario on Johnson's side. Let's, let's just even, let's just try that, right? Even hinting at any blame towards the social care, health and social care sector, anything, anything that even, that even could be stretched, twisted into a negative, is, you, you need to stay away from that shit with a fucking barge pole, and this dude decides to do that, like, it doesn't make sense to me, like, you, you're asking for some bullshit, man, and this is just all fucking, at the end of the day, right, trying to 
excuse me, trying to like make blame, pass blame for this, all this shit. Like, there's going to be an inquiry into all of this. There's actually a, um, there's actually a, uh, a little, uh, I guess, a, a, I don't, I don't know what you want to call it, a group, so to speak, um, of families that have had people in, you know, their their parents or grandparents or whatever, their fam, their family members um, that have died in social care homes. Um, they're actually setting up um, a whole group for them, and it's like a thousand families strong, and they're trying to get answers. And why wouldn't you want answers from all this? There needs to be an inquiry into all of this. Not even after co- uh, Corona ends, which, let's be real, when? Give me a best case scenario when this shit's going to end. Hand me one. Because best case scenario for me personally, me, 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 my my personal um, thoughts about when it's all going to end. When there's no new cases. And not even saying like you know there's uh, there's there'll be cases after the, when it turns to zero. Just saying when it gets to zero. Not thinking about afterwards. Over a year. I think I think next August. I think that's when we can potentially get to zero. That's my that's my best that's my best case scenario personally. That's with no numbers, no expert opinion. That's just me. Just take that with a pinch of salt. That's just my opinion right my just you know blank opinion i think i think there will be a zero cases in a day um next august i think it will go on for that long and even let's just say if i'm right on that ballpark a ballpark figure right or that ballpark date um or that ballpark time right there should be no waiting for any inquiries into all of this there should be inquiries being handed out now ongoing as we go along, there needs to be inquiries into all of this, not just health and social care, but money, funding, whatever, just lockdown procedures, anything that has to do with corona, all needs to be inquired about, because pretty much every, every, every step of the way, we have done, we have tripped up, literally tripped up, whoop, whoop, we may have we may have like you know gotten our feet behind uh gotten our feet under ourselves you know at some point but it's never there's never been a foot a foot gone forward where it's, where we've just collectively just tripped up lockdown ooh, 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 ooh. let's not do it right now ooh, ooh, ooh. oh now we have to do it we should have done lockdown a month before ooh, ooh, ooh. tripped up Ending lockdown. Shouldn't have done it, but we're doing it. Like this is all. This is all stuff that needs to be inquired about. Like just from a governmental perspective, it needs to be um, inquired about. And on the topic of this particular passing blame, how fucking dare you, my guy? You got some fucking nerve. Really. Absolutely disgraceful, honestly. I mean, like I said, huge slap in the face. That's all it is. It's a slap in the face. You're saying the, you're saying they ain't doing enough. Are you fucking kidding? I don't want to be that guy and say you go do it. But seriously, bro, go 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 have a look. Go have a look. Wear your mask and go see. Uh, go go take a temperature of uh, uh, you know just. 
figuratively speaking, not literally, go take a temper of how people are feeling right now. If if they're in the social care sector, go to a couple of care homes, I dare you, and see see what response you get. It's the same shit when um, the election was going round, and that person who was um, uh, I think he what, was he was he was he in the NHS or just like in and around it at that point in time. Um, but yeah, remember that guy that just took him to task and everyone was recording and he just absolutely just fucking laid into him? There needs to be more of that. More of that. But because of Corona, he's, doing, he's going nowhere. He's going nowhere, going to see no public, no public people. We have to just fucking just... Like I said, when it comes to lockdown easing, everything now, everything is all up to you personally. And up to you. Up, it's up to you what to what to do. If you want to go to the pubs, go to the pubs. Do you? You may be putting your family at risk, but do you, bro? Honestly, if you want to go get a trim, do you? All right. But at this point, you have to. We have to fend for ourselves, and that's just in general. In general, the fact that we have to do that, and the government's given us no leg up. And especially on the health and social care sector, zero leg up. I think I saw a, I think I saw a, um, a headline today where it's like uh, 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 NHS staff aren't even going to get free parking in their own fucking hospitals. Like, what the fuck are you doing? They have to pay for parking now? What an unnecessary stress. Piece of shit government, man. So let's jump into film and TV and uh, take a breath on all of that. <sighs> so uh, this is um, from uh, Deadline. Uh, this is written by Prentice Penny, who is uh, the exec- one of one of the many many executive producers of Insecure. Like I was watching it the other day, and it was just like executive produce, executive produce, executive produce. I was like, how many name, how many executive producers do you need? Like Jesus H. Um, so yes, he's he's one of the main ones, um, and also writes and directs some of the episodes, and has uh, recently directed the film on Netflix. Um, I think it's called Uncorked, something like that. So yeah, it, it looks pretty good. I'm I'm gonna try and give it a watch someday. But uh, yeah, he's written a uh, uh, just a, a guest column here on uh, Deadline, and um, it's all about uh, Hollywood's blackface, whitewash, um, and sliding scale, and offers a plan for true change. And that's the title of the article. And uh, yeah, man, let's just jump right in. Um, and there is some swearing. But but I swear anyway, who cares? Don't know what I'm talking about. Oh, there's going to be swearing. <laughs> Gives a shit. Um, uh, jumping in. Uh, do you know how fucking hard it is to get a joke on a television, st- uh, television show? It starts with a bit. Then it's approved by the showrunner. Brackets, I know because I am one. Nice flex. Uh, then it has to make make it through multiple rewrites. Then a table read. Then the studio and network sign off. Then actors and directors have to film it. Then an editor, studio and network again, along with standards and practices, uh, sign off. Finally, it's aired and sponsors, local affiliate stations have to be okay with it. That's a lot of people with power who approve what Amer- the American audience gets to watch. And ain't no one along the way think blackface was maybe a bad idea? 
Over the past few weeks, we've seen Tina Fey, Greg Daniels, Bill Lawrence, and many other showrunners pull their blackface episodes off the air. And to quote LeBron, LeBron James, it was, quote, not one, not two, not three, uh, unquote, but multiple episodes of multiple series. I get the instinct to want to remove these episodes. Uh, you want to be considerate of the moment, but nah, not today, in full caps. Uh, removing these episodes uh, absolves you and all of us from having a long overdue conversa- uh, conversation. It isn't like racism just started this past June. Last week, these same episodes were available to watch. One can make the point, although they'd be wrong, that these episodes would have made sense had they been made in the 1950s. But these episodes were made in the 2000s, all caps. Uh, by the same people who tweet and mock the tone deafness of Megan Kelly's inability to understand why blackface is wrong. Huh? Uh, now I'm saying, now am I saying those showrunners and Megan Kelly are the same? Absolutely not. But I am saying prejudice, racism, and white fragility uh, slash unawareness are a sliding scale. All caps. Uh, blackface getting on the air is a symptom of a much larger and disturbing problem. Lack of representation in the writer's room. We all know it happens, yet it is something we're comfortable accepting. Now, is it the same as accepting uh, that police officers will kill a certain number of black men every year, who we know will result in yet another hashtag? Absolutely not. But But is this industry more comfortable accepting living in its bubble, rather than choosing to face some very ugly and uncomfortable truths that will require it to change? Absolutely. Absolutely. Like I said, it's a, all caps, sliding scale. I've heard white showrunners say they've hired black writers because the studio's diversity initiative basically made it free labour. Oof. (laughs) I love his casualness in writing this, it's glorious. Oof. now is the time as a now is this the time is this the same as a slave owner taking advantage of a horribly oppressive system and devaluing devaluing a person's humanity by purchasing them? Absolutely not. But did the showrunners devalue these black writers' worth because they weren't considered good enough to be hired without the system giving the showrunners an incentive? Absolutely. Like I said, it's a say it with me now. That's not in the article, but say it with me now. Sliding scale. For the record, I don't believe these showrunners are bad people, not at all. That's too broad of a brush to paint anyone with. But I am confused that you tweet Black Lives Matter, yet they don't matter enough to be on your staff. And it's not just showrunners who are complicit in devaluing black voices. Critics play an enormous part in in continuing this cycle. 30 Rock in the Office have received multiple Emmy and Golden Globe wins and nominations from voters. Yet, these same critics and voters fail to see the humanity and value in black stories on television. In the 68 years of the Emmy Awards, only three black shows have ever been nominated for a Best Comedy Series, Atlanta, Blackish, and The Cosby Show, and only the latter has won. Even worse, Best Drama Series has zero nominations for black shows. So, three out of over 800 possible nominations in 68 years. Word? That's not what's hot. That's what's hot in the streets. (laughs) Oh, this is so American. I feel like I'm butchering it um, just by talking in my accent. I'm doing my best. I'm not going to put a voice on, but still. I'm just trying to read it. It's just funny when you go, what? Um, Now, am I saying that TV Academy voters are actively keeping black showrunners like Courtney Kemp, Justin Simeon, or Mara Brocker kill off the ballot? Of course not. But do I think white critics 
and voters don't perceive our art to be as good as our white counterparts, or worse yet, do they even watch our shows? Absolutely, like I said, it's a sliding scale. Now, that's, that's uh, out, of, out of the article for a second. Yeah, I'm, I'm telling you guys, they don't watch them. They don't fucking watch them. Like, they, they, they just don't. Because how, how, do how are you going to force people to watch everything? It's, it's, that, it's, that, it's, a, it's the pie contest analogy once again. They don't eat all the pies. They don't give them all a taste. Or they do, but they don't give them an equal taste. They'll watch a whole season of something and then watch one episode of something else. And they'll be like, alright, that's fine. Like they, they, they'll literally do that. And I guarantee you most of them do. Most of them do. But anyway. Continuing on. Even now, as your TV as the TV Academy opens more slots for voters to be more quote-unquote inclusive of other shows... Uh, when I visited goldderby.com, most experts and critics seem to have used it, those slots only to add more white shows to their list. Huh? Uh, the, systemic, the systemic problem of our industry also extends to the guilds. The WGA, Riot's Guild, um, asks black showrunners to fire our agents and put our pencils down when they want to show a state of solidarity. Now, am I saying the guild uses our black faces for the same, the same way Trump does, by putting black faces in the front of... <laughs> In the front row of his rally saying, see, the blacks are down with Mecca. <laughs> Absolutely not. But do I think the guild falls dramatically short of that same uh, punitive pencils down energy when it comes to forcing showrunners to have more diverse rooms or be expelled from the union? Absolutely. Like I said, sliding scale. Now, some might choose uh, to chew me out right now. You might be thinking, damn, we just gave you Juneteenth and slavery syrup. What else do you want? We want better from our peers, from our industry, and frankly, from human beings just doing the right thing. We deserve it. We demand it. Hell, we've earned it. You also might be thinking, this is a lot to digest as a white person. You don't know if you should salute black people when they walk into the room <laughs> or offer to wash their hair. Brackets, don't offer to wash our hair. Seriously, do not do this. <laughs> so let me give you something uh, you can do that will have an immediate impact. Make 60% of your entire show writers, directors, DPs, all crew members, production and post, people of colour, period. That's a boss move. I've done this I've done the above on Insecure, so I know it works. Not only is racism systemic, but also but so is opportunity. And I get it. It's hard to get a television show on the air. It's completely natural to want to hire writers, directors, producers or editors you work with before and that you trust. However, if black creatives in those departments can't get on those white shows and meet future showrunners who will inevitably hire people they've worked with when they get their show, uh, when they get a show, that's dot 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 systemic. Black writers don't need gestures that we're not asking for. Uh, what we need is for everyone to be uncomfortable and accountable. What we need is for people in power to look around the room and ask, where am I on the all caps sliding scale? Um, so yeah, that's um, a kind of uh, it's kind of one of those uh, uh, columns, I guess, that uh, really nails in the point for you, um, which uh, which I you know highly appreciate and don't really have to uh, talk much about that because clearly there is a sliding scale here and you know there's always there and you know that shit exists everywhere, um, especially especially in the film and TV space, you know. So it's, this is basically in a part two of the um, the film and TV segment I had last week. Um, it's 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 pretty much the same conversation in a way where you're talking about um, you know 
personal experiences of how um, uh, black people in film and TV get bullshitted. And, you know, once they get, if they're given an opportunity, it's some, it's incentive based. And then people feel some type of way because it's incentive based and they feel like you're not worthy because it's, uh, they did it on incentive. And it's just like, it shouldn't be on incentive. It should be on, um, you know, I personally think your show dramatically gets better when there are different voices in the room. Having the same white white dude with the same background as you doesn't help. It doesn't help at all. <coughs> Excuse me. Like, why would... If you were doing, like, a, a modern show, right? A show based on now, right? Knowing how multicultural the world is at the moment. Um, in the, oh, let's just say Western world. Let's just stick it right there for the moment. Um, you know, in, in Britain or the US, right? If you have... If you're in one of those, um, you know, spaces where, you know, you know a lot of people that aren't just white or, you know, have several races to them and several, not even, not even races, but several attitudes to them. Like you want eight, you want eight white comedy dudes? What the the fuck variety is going to, what are you going to get from that? What kind of variety are you going to get from that? Like you're, you're actually pigeonholing yourself to some to to some bullshit and it's going to make your show worse i think you know and some of these shows really um you know they really are predicated on the genius of one person i think that you know doesn't i'm not saying that for anybody else but i think that i think you know a lot of shows are predicated on the and you know revolve around the mind of one person and then everyone can just slot in where they slotting where they can but I don't think it should be like that I think it should be you know everyone should have a everyone that's in the room or everyone that's being hired have a ch- has a chance to flex and um, do what they feel and do what they feel is right not just for their episode that they're doing but also for the show as a whole um, if they're part of that in, in the long term it just makes sense if it just makes sense more so uh, you know, shout out to Prentice Penny on that. Uh, very, um, I, I refrained from doing um, American accents because um, didn't want to, you know, take away from the point that was being made. So, uh, uh, congratulations to me. Apparently, I don't know why I'm I'm, I'm wording it like that, but yes, <laughs> congratulations to me. And uh, you know, if, if sliding scale is in your mind for the next week, um, you can you can thank Prentice Penny for that. And lastly, we finish up on the life on a second life topic, and uh, this is a very fun one. Um, I mean that. <laughs> I, I, I do not mean that. <laughs> this is by uh, Momtaza Meri or Mehri. Uh, don't know if I'm saying it right. Um, uh, they are a poet and independent researcher, and uh, this is just an opinion piece uh, from the Guardian. It's called "Anti-Racism Requires So Much More." Then checking your privilege. Um, so I just wanted to read something that you know looked a little bit more ahead in terms of these conversations. Um, yeah, obviously the Black Lives Matter stuff has died down a little bit. I don't want to say fully um, because there are still protests going around. They're just not being um, you know covered um, as much as they did 
say last month because you know the new cycle is um you know just a never-ending cesspool and they just can't help themselves um but yeah this shit's still going on but i wanted to have a conversation about just looking ahead in some sense and how you can improve past recognizing all this bullshit that we have um that we've clearly thrown um in each other's faces in the past uh, few months and i don't say that derogatory uh, derogatory in a derogatory sense um obviously but yeah so let's just jump right one of the most illustratively ham-fisted responses to black lives matter took the form of a psa featuring white hollywood stars committing themselves to the vague agenda of standing in against hate i take responsibility proclaimed the likes of julianne moore justin theroux and sarah paulson in a denouncement of their own previous silence on police brutality from a-listers to corporate giants and hallowed institutions the undignified scramble to address track records of anti-blackness is further proof of Black Lives Matter's uh, rupturing effect on our culture. Black Lives Matter is changing how uh, how we think about personal complicity, yet we are trapped. We are still trapped within a reductive framework: privilege, anti-racist reading lists, teachings, and re- uh, resources proliferate, spurring intense contortions of privilege checking. Uh, This language unites politicians, celebrities, distinguished academics and activists. But the problem with privilege checking, quote unquote, is that it focuses on our efforts, it focuses our efforts away from the profound questions that Black Lives Matter raises and onto simpler individualistic solutions to racism. The US scholar Peggy McIntosh unpacked the meaning of privilege in her seminal 1988 paper, White Privilege and Male Privilege. McIntosh uh, defined white privilege as everything from the ability to freely criticise one as government and its policies without being branded a cultural outsider to being able to easily find bandages matching one's own skin shade. As the idea and its attendant uh, catchphrases trickled outside academic activist circles and into public consciousness, it was met with backlash. But not all of its detractors are shrill reactionaries or aggrieved right-wingers. The language of white privilege obscures systemic inequality by reducing it to individual actors quite literally in the form of the latest Hollywood PSA and their willingness to acknowledge their privilege. Checking, quote-unquote, your privilege uh, then becomes a public exercise in self-flagellation, focusing on the repentantly privileged while uh, neatly obscuring how intrinsic anti-black racism is to the world. Why seriously challenge unequal resource distribution when all you need is to, <laughs> all you need to do is renounce the privilege that gives you access to the very resources hoarded at the expense of others. To the privilege renouncer, uh, there is little need to address the in- inconvenient fact: the immense economic order that spans the globe has historically needed black un- needed a black underclass, both domestically and overseas, to survive. Racial capitalism, as a term popularised by the scholar Cedric Robinson with its roots in apartheid-era South Africa, is a way of understanding capitalism's process of exploiting who it radicalises and racialising who it exploits. We see this through the dispossession of indigenous people from their land, the transatlantic slave trade and the colonial enterprise. Capitalism's inseparability, nice word, uh, from anti-black racism lives on through neocolonialism, which compounds black suffering across Africa through extractive, ecologically damaging multinational corporations, the predatory practices of international lending agencies, and Euro-American military intervention. The assassinations, assassinations 
of anti-colonial African revolutionaries by its colonial powers and suppression of grassroots social movements further entrenched economic dispossession. Today, we see staggering class divides within many African nations widen as elites benefit from their lucrative alliances with this neo-colonial order. In this sense, another problem with privilege theory is that it makes it harder to recognise the tensions and contradictions existing between the racialized. The protests in the US provided examples of black mayors pacifying their desperate constituents, tactless statements made by wealth-protecting black celebrities, and the positioning of black political and cultural elites as translators and mediators of uprisings led by the poorest and least protected. For some, a lack of privilege has fatal consequences. For others, it offers platforms, speaking gigs, and career opportunities. As a black writer routinely categorised as quote-unquote marginalised and underrepresented, uh, I am hyper-aware of how expertly I can leverage my lack of privilege into a career built on representing others like me. The upswell in liberal white guilt is a fertile ground for me to do so. I can dissect the privilege of the middle-class white literary elite while conveniently eroding the specificity of my own position as a child of the post-independent Somali middle classes, many of whom are now experiencing the kind of degradation and displacement abroad that others have always faced at home. This is the part of my story that differentiates me from the security guards and cleaners who share my ethnic background and work at the institutions that invite me on panels to speak on behalf of my wider community. That's a great paragraph. Just that whole thing is a great paragraph that recognises, just him recognising, you know, who he is. That's just absolutely amazing. Uh, The prison scholar Ruth Wilson Gilmore defines racism not as hostility towards those without privilege, but as a process that creates a group-differentiated vulnerability to premature death. Wow. Uh, This definition makes sense of why black diasporic Uh, Communities are at greater risk of contracting and dying from COVID-19. Brackets with the UK's black African population dying at more than triple the rate of their white counterparts. It's why nearly half of all black children in the UK live in poverty. It's why black Brazilians are making connections between the killing of George Floyd and the death of Miguel Otavio Santana da Silva. A five-year-old who fell nine stories under the watch of his mother's rich employer. Shit highlighting the treatment of black domestic workers, the ability to live each day without being caught in the punitive crosshairs of race and class is not a privilege, it is power. Oh, that's a bar. Ah, uh, that's a bar. All right, let me just let me just emphasize that. Like the ability to live each day without being caught in the punitive crosshairs of race and class is not a privilege, it is power. Fucking hell, that is facts. Oh my days, that is a bar. The mainstreaming of anti-racist discourse is causing many people to question their own position in the world. As welcome as this is, let's not stop at self-reflection. Unlearning personal prejudices should coincide with undoing the structures, logics and economic arrangements that perpetuate global anti-blackness. Being courageous enough to reimagine the world as we know it will only deepen our genuine solidarity with those who are currently struggling to survive it. Instead of timidly admitting to our various privileges, let's ask ourselves what a world uh, where all black life matters everywhere would look like and accept nothing else. Wow, that is great. That is a great piece. Um, There are so many just great lines in there and just the the whole encompassing message there. 
Um, I generally just want to reiterate that, you know, privilege versus power th- um, dynamic, I guess. Um, we, we, we see it as privilege and, you know, I sometimes, I probably do recognise it as privilege sometimes when I see certain people, but it is a power that they have there where they can just actively, or not even actively, just passively avoid it. You know, you can do it by living somewhere else. You can do it by not watching the news or anything like that. You can just not be aware of it. You ju- you can just choose not to be aware of it. And there are a lot of people that do that regardless of who they are. You know, that people just go and watch, you know, Love Island or whatever reality TV shows hot at the moment. You know, just as a sense of escaping. But I wonder whether it's um, the only power that they have. And that, that just, well, that just um, made me think about reality TV as a whole and why it's um, prevalent in today's society. That's crazy to think about. But anyway, <laughs> that um, potential um, abyss aside, uh, to jump in, um, you know, we all have the power in some ways. Not Not all of us, actually. Not all of us have the power to actively... Um, not look at things that we either don't like or just, um, you know, don't want to take account for in this specific case of obviously race and class. Like, they don't, they don't want to. Why would they? You know, they're there, they're comfy. Why, why, why look down? Why look down? Honestly, why look down? Why would you? You know what I mean? It's, 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 the answer is obviously, um, you know, because they're people too, but, that's not how we think. That's not how it. That's not how most people think. Not everyone. Not everyone thinks of you know. Oh, it's not just the the black race. We're the human race. You know, I mean, nobody. Well, nobody should think about it like that in this particular time. That's more. That's so utopian. Um, it just it just comes out as disingenuous. Um, and even if you genuinely believe that, you know, all oh, the human race, nah, even if you genuinely believe that, there's no, it's not going to do anything for the conversations we are having right now. There's no point. There's no point. It doesn't make, it doesn't tip the scale anywhere. You're just, you're just, it's wasted words. It is wasted words saying that um, kind of stuff. And, um, you know, it's, uh, but, yeah, I've, I've, I've lost steam because, uh, <laughs> Uh, that was just, that just took the wind out of me the whole thing. Um, but yeah, man, shout out to Mary on that. Um, That's an amazing article. And uh, with that said, we'll end it there, ladies and gentlemen from the Fifth End Podcast Network. I've been Chaitan, and this has been Moss Goods. Intro music has been too much by Vanilla. Interlude music has been visited by Poldor. You can find all their tunes in the Bandcamp links in the full show notes. Shout out to Jailbreakers for the ability to use these songs. You can also find their entire discography in the Bandcamp link in the full show notes. Go give that a click. Go on, go do, go do it and support everyone that is, bit, that is involved with the making of this show. And with that said, I hope you all have a good week. I shall always, always try and do the same. But until the next time, take it easy, ladies and gentlemen.